Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today, The Psychology Report. This is an important topic, especially in the day and age that we live and the time now that we are living. I read an article recently in the uh, paper. It was supposed to be an educational article and a, a piece of advice. It was entitled, Be Careful with Alcohol. Now, what was meant by that is somewhat difficult to know, but uh, essentially there was an attempt to uh, recommend that people drink, but be careful, and that you as a family may drink in front of your children and encourage your children to drink, but just be careful. That was kind of the essence of the article. That's a lie, by the way. And it should not be encouraged, and it should not be promoted and perpetuated. The article went on to, and I'll tell you why, but the article went on to say, well, what is moderate drinking? If you're going to be careful, then you drink moderately. What is moderate drinking? Well, what they said, and many articles and books say the same thing, is that one drink equals 12 ounces of beer. That's one drink. And for a woman, one drink a day is moderate drinking. And for a man... Two or three drinks a day is moderate drinking. That's a lie, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But that's how they defined moderate drinking. Now, that translates also into about five ounces of wine. So for every 12 ounces of alcohol, there's about five ounces of wine. So about half, if you will. And then about one and a half ounces of a strong liquor equals 12 ounces of a beer. So... Um, one beer, basically, I mean, pardon me, one uh, drink of an ounce and a half of vodka would equal about um, three cans of beer in one drinking. So, drinking is, in moderation, is, um, cannot be really defined. You see, here's the point. What is moderation for one is not moderation for another. What is one drink for one is not one drink, you know, for another. And the other factor is this, is that drinking is progressive. What moderate drinking is and was when you first started to drink, maybe one bottle of beer or one glass of wine. But after years of drinking, it has now progressed to the point that you have to have two or three of those for every one that you had when you were younger. It's progressive. In other words... Alcohol consumption increases over time to produce an effect, to produce a buzz or to produce a state of relaxation. So you need more alcohol after drinking a number of years than you needed when you started. So kind of what is moderate? No, you can't, you can't go by that. What is moderate after you've been drinking 10 years may be very different than what you is moderate when you start drinking your first year. So... There's a great deal of risk. And the other factor is that, moderate or not, there's a health-related issue of alcohol consumption. It's easy to get dependent on it, very easily. And that's going to have a health effect, primarily the liver. The liver is damaged by alcohol. Alcohol and liver do not go together. And if you drink, your liver begins to uh, become ill and sick, if you will, and dysfunctional. You have to stop drinking immediately. Now, the, most of the liver will heal. 
Maybe at least 25% of the liver will heal if you stop drinking, but not all of it. But there is some forgiveness on the part of the liver if you stop drinking. But if you don't stop drinking, it'll only be progressive and the liver will become less and less, you know, functional. So the liver is definitely related to alcohol consumption, and so are certain cancers. And so are certain drug, I mean, uh, stomach-related problems. So there's a number of factors in health that are directly related to alcohol consumption. And the more you drink, the longer you drink, the more health becomes an issue. I did a research study not too long ago, years back, it showed that after 20 years of drinking, a person experiences significant major illness and disease. So, yes, it doesn't happen in the first year or two or three. No, it doesn't. We know that. But after years of drinking, the body cannot absorb that amount of alcohol over the years, and the body begins to break down. And 20 years was the kind of the marker. 20 years of drinking, where the body began to break down and enter into stages of much ill health, costing insurances, uh, a great deal, insurance companies a great deal of money, costing you and doctor visits a great deal of money, etc. You see, when you look at the financial effects of drinking, it's interesting. Yeah, you may buy a bottle of uh, alcohol, let's say for $10, just as a round number. But you know, if you've been drinking over a period of time, you know what you're going to pay in addition to that? You're going to pay a hefty fee for a divorce. You're going to pay a lot of medical problems. You're going to pay a lot of co-pays and other costs for medical problems you have. You're going to pay a great deal, a huge amount of money, for your children walking away from you and not having a bond with you. You're going to lose your job. It'll be a source of income loss, tremendous for you and for the family. You're going to lose your home. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of costs that we don't usually think of when we talk about the cost of drinking. We just think, okay, how much do you drink per day, per week, per month? And you figure out, okay, you spend maybe two, three, four hundred dollars for alcohol in the course of a month. You may spend up to three hundred dollars or more for cigarettes in the course of a month. So you're up to three to six hundred dollars a month just for the addiction issues in your life, let alone the effects of those, which are going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in cost. So you better start thinking about the cost of alcohol and the cost of any addiction and what it's going to mean in the long run. Now, a study was done some years back with 500 teenagers. And what they did is they, they, they looked at the nature of the parenting relationships and the parenting style in their home. In other words, how did their parents actually parent them? What was their style of parenting? And then they looked at these kids in terms of whether they were drinkers or not, whether they fit into abstainers or infrequent drug users or alcohol users, weekly users or daily users. In other words, they were categorized in those four categories. And here's what they found among the people who were abstainers and infrequent users. Interesting. It wasn't the fact that they had parents that were drunk or not. Here's what they found. Number one, it was a feeling of closeness to the parent, the father or the mother. 
There was a feeling of closeness that prevailed within these families, between the kids and their parents. Closeness, a bond, a respect, a regard. Number two, they found an emphasis in the home that was placed on getting along with the parents. In other words, it wasn't just tolerating the parents or arguing with the parents or fighting with the parents, but working on a plan of how to get along well together and live together as a family. So it was how to live together well. That was number two. Number three is this. There was a desire on the part of the kids, the teenagers, to be like the father or like the mother. In other words, to emulate. Uh, they wanted parents that lived a life as an example, as a model, as an, as an example of how to live their life. And they followed the example of their parents. These were the kids that rarely drank or didn't drink at all. In other words, the parents were somebody to be admired and to be followed. Now, there was also a perceived attitude of trust on the part of the youth by the mother. In other words, kids perceived and felt that their mother trusted them. And when a mother trusts you, you, you live within that trust. You follow that trust. You, want, you don't want to destroy that trust. You want to enhance that trust. You want to live by that trust. That's what these kids said and knew what they did. There was also an encouragement and praise from the father. In other words, they wanted the trust of the mother, but they wanted the praise and the approval of their father, and they got it. That's, they, they had homes where the father praised them and commended them and rewarded them and just built them up. And they came from a home where the mother trusted them. And there was this bond between the kids and their parents that developed over time. And lastly, there was an ability to talk about personal problems with the father. In other words, they came from homes where fathers were available and were open and were willing to sit down and talk about personal problems. Didn't push them off on the mother or push them off on somebody else or ignore them altogether. They had fathers that were willing to be part of the dialogue of the issues that they were facing in life. That's the kind of homes these kids came from. These are the kids that do not drink or rarely drink. In other words, it wasn't the fact that there was alcohol in the home or not. It wasn't the fact that they were a certain age or not. But it was the fact that they came from a home where the parents had a style of parenting that really could be identified as a parenting style of trust, of honor, of respect, of bonding, of relationship, of togetherness, of openness, of listening and talking being close, and just getting along with each other. And getting along with each other was valued very highly. That's the kind of home that kids come from that do not drink or drink rarely. Now, look at your home. Look at the home you came from. Is that how you would describe it? Is that how you'd look at it? You see, these are kids that really made it in life. They didn't become addicted. They didn't follow the pattern of peer influence. They stood up and they were independent and they were wise in their decision making, wise in their relationships. 
See, it wasn't, it's not a matter of just writing rules and writing a contract by saying, I will not drink, or you don't drink in this house, or, you know, things like that. Because we often do that as parents. We accept all these rules and think the rules are going to honor, be honored, and the rules will prevail. No, it's the type of relationship that you as a parent have with your kid. That's what's important in the area of addiction. So, family life matters when it comes to drug use and drug addiction whether it's alcohol or any other drug for that matter, it's important that what prevails in the house is a family that lives together, loves each other, treats each other well, lives with respect, lives with honor, lives with openness, lives with talking and a great deal of praise and approval from the father and a father that's willing to sit down and talk and be open. So this is an important area of life. Our kids today are at risk. Our kids today are at great risk for drug addiction. And it's not just alcohol. We're now in an age where marijuana is going to be available on most street corners. Not undercover, but in a, a drug store, if you will. California is moving in that direction. See, we bought a lie in California, and many other states did the same thing. The lie was this, that there's such a thing we call medical marijuana. And all you have to have is a medical problem, and you can get marijuana. Well, everything is medical marijuana. Everything. There isn't anything that falls outside of that. And we also brought another lie, saying recreational marijuana. Well, everything is recreational. There's nothing outside of recreation. So, marijuana is an open issue. Open to everybody, to, for any purpose or anything. So, we are in it. We bought it. We're going to now suffer the consequences, enormous consequences. The consequences that are already being seen in Washington and Colorado and some of the other states where we have this drug available. California is one of them. And we're going to see it even more as we now move into another year. So we need to think about these things. We need to talk about these things. We need to really look at them and see how to handle them within the context of our home and our own family. But for today, it's the style of parenting that's the critical issue to whether your kid is going to be, get, become involved in and be, be absorbed within the drug culture. Now, before you go today, I'd just like to bring to your attention again the Green Gables Care Home. The Green Gables Care Home is an assisted living facility in Clovis and in Fresno, California. These, they have homes for the elderly that can no longer take care of themselves and the families cannot handle that. Homes for Alzheimer's, those with memory loss, those where you need assistance but you don't need a total care. They have different levels of care. So give the Green Gables Care Home a call if you are in need of looking at the possible use of a facility for someone that you love. They have about seven homes in the area so that you can certainly find one that might fit your situation the best. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in a situation like that, make a telephone call. 250-7783. 250-7783. Now if you can't get through on that one, here's another number that you can call. 
38. Run by a family, Shikali, a great family that really is committed to this field of caring for the elderly. So if you are in need of some assistance, give the Green Gables Care Home a call. I recommend them to you, okay? Nice to have you with me, and uh, we will see you again. Bye for now. This is the Psychology Report. Bye-bye.